Hi. Hi. I'm Naomi. And I'm Jane, her mum. I'm a 30-something, very amateur gardener, starting out on my horticultural journey. And I'm in my 60s and I'm teaching her everything I know. Which is a lot. And this is, let's get to the root of it. It's not about hair, which is another thing we both love. It's about gardening. Welcome to the first episode of Let's Get to the Root of It. Mum, where are we right now? Well, we're in Billericay, which is where Naomi and her husband Chris live. And we're in her back garden, um, and in the house that she's only lived in for a few months. Yes, correct, we are. And it's been a bit of a weird time because we've had lockdown because of the coronavirus. So it's been a while we've not seen each other as much. Uh, because you live in Sussex and I live in Essex. Um, so you mentioned that we've not been in the house very long. Yes, so Naomi only moved in at the beginning of this year and obviously there's loads they want to do and the garden um, doesn't always take priority. Uh, so it's a question of trying to prioritise which things are the most important to them and I think that you treat the garden as another room. So it's not a huge garden but... Um, like all gardens, they can be time-consuming. And it's it's uh, had a lot of um, well-established plants in it that have been let go. Yes. Is there anything else you'd like to say to sort of set the scene and, like, describe the garden to people? Well, sitting here right now, it looks like an absolute <laughs> bombsite because we've had a weekend where we've got a bit carried away with the saw, <laughs> taken down a few things that had overgrown, a buddleia that was 12... 14 foot high is now only five foot high um a couple of other things we've taken right out and there's still a lot of work to do but as I've said to Naomi it's small steps baby steps and uh, not to get too impatient about it but at the moment sitting here right now there's a lot a lot to do but that's fine and there's also a lot that we have done you know that since she's moved in we we came here in February and attacked a few things but um We'll get there. It's just a question of being patient and doing things a bit at a time. And that's going to be difficult for me because I'm not a very patient person. Um, I, I am a bit like I have, a, I think I've got a great idea and so I want to do it now. So you've said to me that that's something I probably need to try and work to learn. I think particularly if you want to get into gardening and it's not my, I'm not naturally a patient person, but gardening does actually teach you to be patient because, you know, it's not like painting a, a, a room, uh, your bedroom, and in a couple of days you've got a newly painted bedroom. You plant plants and you've got to wait months, years for them to establish and to see whether they're the size that you want, they're the, the place that you want, you know, so you have to be patient. Um, and eventually, with patience, you realise that it pays off uh, to do that, to be patient can be very rewarding can't it definitely but it's a very fluid thing it's very ongoing it's very nothing's ever perfect I think unless you do gardening as a living and you know everything there is to know about gardening um you do have to learn as you go along which is part of the fun 
So you mentioned like a while back, you said a buddlier. Mm-hmm. Just thinking for any listeners who know okay. less than I did like last week, um, can you describe a buddlier and why it's an issue that it was 12 feet tall? Right, okay. So it's called, its other name is the butterfly bush and you actually see them growing wild at the side of um, railway tracks quite often. It's mainly um, a, a mauve flower, cone-shaped flower, but I think you can get them white as well. Um, and... They are a shrub that you can cut right down to about 18 inches high and it will grow back up in, in each year. It will grow back in a year to about five foot and that's the aim that you want, five, six, maybe seven foot at the most with these lovely flowers in bloom right now. But if you don't prune it back down, then it grows taller and taller and taller and becomes overwhelming unless you have some massive garden where you can allow it to do that. Also, you won't get flowers down its trunk you'll only get them at the top um so what we've done with Naomi's is we've cut it down it's a bit of a you know we'll give it a year Mr Budlier and see whether or not we've you know um given you a new lease of life or whether it's too late because I think the previous owner of the Budlier had just let it go and go and go and it had got much too big and I guess that's what you mean when you say you know i mean this garden isn't particularly high maintenance it doesn't have loads of stuff in it that needs regular pruning and moving around and that sort of thing but with things like that that's the minimum you've got to do really yeah most things there aren't many things in a garden that don't need some attention even if it's just a little bit of attention you know depending on how you've designed your garden and what you want out of it and how much time you want to spend in it um some things have a lot you know, need a lot more attention than others. The first thing that comes to mind to me is like an azalea. Put that in, give it the amount of space that it needs, and you never need to touch it again. It's fine. It will just, if you've put it in the right place, it will just grow. But, um, you know, you then you herbaceous perennials like phlox or echinacea, they need a lot more uh, attention and a lot more um, of your time. So I think that's the first thing you need to sit back and think about. It's not just looking at a garden and thinking, I want that, that, that and that. Or going (laughs) to the garden centre and saying, look, that's pretty. You've actually got to think about if it's the right thing for you. Is it it a high maintenance plant? Will it fit in? Or lots of things like that. So you mentioned three things there that, again, I might not necessarily know what they all mean. So you said an azalea. Do I have any azaleas in my garden? No, but you've got a pyrus and you've got a rhododendron, which are both of the same family. Um, both um, acid-loving plants and azalea. All three of those actually are quite happy in shade um, and all three of them are evergreen. Uh, you can get um, deciduous azaleas, but they're a different. that's a different story. So they're really simple, but they're, they're um, particularly the rhododendron and the azalea, they're wow plants for about three weeks in the spring, late spring, early summer, and then they're just green. Um, so, you know, in my garden in Horsham, I've got five, six, seven azaleas all together in one place at the greenhouse. And so they are wow in May, but then they're, they're green for the rest of the year, evergreen. And that's fine because they're in one place. We can forget that place for the rest of the year and, you know, um, concentrate on the rest of the garden. But so they are, if you've put them in the right place and they like your soil, they're really easy. And they like ericaceous soil. Ericaceous soil. What does that mean? So it's acid, high in acid, not alkaline. It's acid-loving. And for most people, your soil won't naturally be that, so you can supplement it. It depends on where you live. I mean, you can test your soil. 
Um, and, and I think perhaps if you live by the sea, you don't have acid soil. I don't think they like that. Um, but uh, as, uh, hydrangeas are another acid-loving plant. So, um, but if, you, if you've got acid soil, then those things will th- thrive, naturally. Yeah. So the other terms you mentioned, I think you said herbaceous perennial, right. like a phlox. So her- What's a herbaceous perennial? So a perennial is something that grows each year, dies back down to the ground in the winter. So um, your salvias that we've bought today, they will they look lovely now. Um, come October, maybe September, late September, October, they will look as though they're dead. There'll be sticks, and then you leave them. And then in the spring, you cut them right down to the ground. And in the spring, you'll see the new shoots all coming up from the ground. The same with flocks. The same with um, echinacea. That's the two that I can think of to mind straight away. Um, and then they, they are lovely, colourful flowers in your garden. They're, they're a bit cottagey. Mm. So you know that you will get flowers every year and they will probably grow for six weeks in the summer. And you can have a, you can have, um, a series of herbaceous perennials that will provide you with flower right through the summer from about March, April to October, November maybe. Yeah, November probably. Um, so you can, if you've planted those in your garden, but they do take a bit of attention and they, they might need separating, they might get too big and you've got to dig them up and split them, but then that makes more plants, you know, which you might like to give to somebody or put somewhere else in your garden. Um, but they aren't just a plant and leave things. Right. This is fascinating. I have, there's so much we can talk about here. I have so much to learn. Um, but I'm going to move us on. So you've we've talked quite a lot about my garden and that we're in my garden at the moment. I want to talk more about your garden. So for me, your garden, well, it's the house I grew up in from the age of about five, I guess. Less than that, I think three and a half, four. Okay, so I lived in that house for probably 25 years of my life, I guess, give or take uni. And, um, so... And one of the predominant things I remember about that house is the garden. And still now, when I come to visit, I'm just drawn to that garden. In the, you know, we'll be sitting in the kitchen. I'll look out the door with French win- French doors, and I'm just drawn to, drawn to that garden because it's all, whatever time, it seems that whatever time of year I'm there, there are colours, there are beautiful flowers. There's just so much stuff to look at. And on top of that, I know how much enjoyment it gives you mm. and it gives Dad. So. I think that for me is probably why I've become interested in gardening because I've grown up with that and grown up with some people that, you know, have passion and are really interested in it. Yeah, so I think it's grown for us as well because obviously the garden's completely different now to what it was when you were growing up because it had to be more child-friendly. You know, the the water slide and the (laughs) the marquee in the garden. Sandpit. 16th birthday, you know, would not have... the, The footballs, you know, although there weren't that many, but there was tennis being played so the garden then looked completely different to what it does now and I think it's evolved over the last few years the last maybe 10 years to to what it is now yeah 10 15 years I think but um but yeah it is the aim is to get it looking interesting all the year round that's my aim anyway I don't know if that's everybody who loves gardening's aim but um the aim is to sit there and think, yes, that's 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 lovely now, and then, then that's gone, and something else is lovely. And and the aim is, that, you know, if if other people come, that they are drawn to it, 
Um, but it's a never-ending um, battle and I'm never satisfied with it. Never. And I think Dad probably feels the pain of that more because yeah. he's often the one having to... Yeah, and we've often said it's definitely a two-person job. You yeah. know, it's never... If one of us is debilitated or not there, it would not be how it is. It's got to be um, a two-person job. I couldn't do it on my own and nor could he. And actually, you need some friends and neighbours you can rope in as well. Because when there is like a pet, like if you're going to be away, you know, this weekend you're away and it's very hot. So you've got the kind next door neighbour that's going to do all the watering. So it is a a real commitment. That's quite hard. I mean, as you say, this year, as we've been in lockdown, we're not having a normal two week summer holiday. But that would always be quite hard because we'd get it just in shape, you know, and it would look really good just as you're going off on your two weeks holiday. And then, you know, with all the best will in the world, when your neighbours come around and water, they're not going to deadhead and they're not going to weed and they're not going to mow your lawn. So when you come back from your two weeks holiday, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't take long, but you do have to knock it back into shape and getting it quickly. That's what I'm saying. It's, it is a, a permanent thing. You've got to keep on top of it unless you put things in there that are completely maintenance free, which is not much. There's not much that's maintenance free that's rewarding to have I guess no. like anything yeah hard you have to work yeah. the nicer it is indeed. <laughs> indeed yeah yeah so where do you think you get your interest and passion for gardening yeah. from because like you say it is a commitment so if you you know you've you've got you've got that sense of yeah. it being worth doing from somewhere and yeah, a I, bit of knowledge of how to do it I think it's I think it's in my blood because both my aunt and my mum who were sisters both of them imparted a lot of their knowledge on me but I wouldn't say that I've done what they did. You know, I don't. My gardens aren't how theirs were. But I think that's why I say it's in my blood. And my also my granddad, who's mum and, and Mari's dad. Um, I can remember as a child going visiting them, and they and I can see the garden now. You know, lots of herbaceous perennials, lots of daisies. You know, lots of things going on in the garden. It wasn't huge. It was a long, thin garden. But um, and I remember him always being out there pottering away. So I think it's not that I think, oh, I loved my mum's garden or I love my aunt's garden. It's not that at all. I think it's just in me to have that that gene that is interested in gardening, you know, and that um, that thing that makes you think, yes, I, I get a lot of pleasure out of my garden. Yeah. Not everybody does, do they? I don't know. I, I have a feeling that most that's in, in everybody some, somewhere. You know, I think everybody can... It's a bit of a chicken and egg, you know. Once you start to do it, then you do get a bit of a bug for it, you know, and um, it hooks you in. Mm. I think the challenge is with my son-in-law to see whether or not we can get him into that. Yeah, he's not that interested. <laughs> he likes cutting things down. But that's that's the thing, isn't it? Because I think if you ask Dad, he'd probably say maybe he wasn't, mm. even though his dad was a gardener, not necessarily yeah. into his flowers, but certainly into his gardening. Yeah. And he worked the soil always, you know. But I don't know whether Dad has... I mean, Dad certainly appreciates our garden hugely, but yes. whether that's was in him to do that or whether it's because of what we've done, yeah. which is what you two can do. Yes. Yes, you're, you, both of you are a big inspiration mm. to me and my garden. What would you say is your biggest challenge in your garden? Oh, I don't know. I think it's getting things to grow in the right place I mean I'm continually learning about pruning things you know one year you think oh that's lovely it's just how I want it to be and then you wake up in April and it's a monster you know <laughs> and you think oh no 
I should have, I should have done that last year. Yeah. And now, you know, like your buddlier, it's too late. So those things are, are a continual challenge. I'm getting better at it. And I think with the benefit of a diary, a notebook and photographs, dated photographs, um, so that you remember where things are, what they look like at a certain time, you know, and when to put things, when to do things. That's the biggest challenge, I think. I think pruning is one of the biggest challenges. Also, clematis are my challenge. I've got 10 in my garden at the moment. I intend to have more. And I I am learning about clematis because I know, I think you can have a clematis in flower all year round, pretty much, with the exception of maybe December and January. And that's a challenge to me, to get clematis in the right place performing properly at the right time so those those are the two that come to mind okay so we'll definitely check back on clematises yes. in future and see how you get on with that um so i wanted to do a bit about myth busting because i think if like me you've done a bit of gardening through observation a bit of gardening through googling and a bit of kind of just guessing there's definitely a lot of myths out there about gardens and growing plants and you know what's the best things to do and I thought from your experience you could help us bust some of those myths so also at the moment it's uh, the beginning of August in England and it's been one of the hottest days one of the hottest weekends of the year so far so the myth that we're gonna the myth busting that we're gonna do this episode is going to be about watering so I thought we'd talk a little about a little bit about watering and some of the things people might have heard and whether they're true or false and you know what there is to know what people the tips that people should know about watering okay so I think the main one is don't water in the heat of the sun I think um anything that needs watering particularly if you've got a greenhouse or bedding plants that need in pots that need a little bit more water then first thing in the morning is actually the best time to water them or later on in the evening if you water them in midday then the the water is just going to evaporate and I think you could um, potentially scorch the leaves um, so that's not good okay it's gone so basically anything that needs watering even if so my hydrate one of my hydrangeas yesterday was looking really parched yeah. and I spotted that in the morning but didn't do anything. didn't have time to water it then yeah. so the best thing to do is then you have to put up with it looking parched and then you water it later no, in the I day I would say that was the same with things that are in the garden okay I think things that are drooping in the garden are just sort of saying oh you know I need a bit of water but actually you could do that I still wouldn't do it in the heat of the sun but you could leave it until the evening I don't yeah. think it matters it that plant will survive more than something that's in a tub would yeah. or in a greenhouse that's really going to suffer if you've if you've not watered it for a couple of days it, it, you could potentially have lost it okay. but I think anything that's in the ground will probably survive a day or two um, even though it's looking droopy and that's because obviously there is moisture in the soil, soil. for those yeah. plants whereas if they're in a pot yeah. there, there aren't many plants I've got um, going back to the um, uh, deciduous azalea i've got that's has a flower a beautiful scented flower in the spring that is one that tells me when it's dry like your hydrangea did but there aren't many plants particularly well established things that um that droop in the garden you know they're gonna you're gonna look at them and think oh dear i should have watered that it's now dead more than likely right okay there aren't many in the garden 
that are going to um, tell you that they're dry. You, it's something you're going to have to learn to know. And most things that are well established, and that means like a year, 18 months or more in your garden, should be fine without you watering them obsessively. You know, they, they actually should be fine. Okay. So that's good to know because I... I never knew whether it was true that you shouldn't water in the heat of the day, but you're saying it is true. You should mm. not do that. Mm. Good. Okay, the next one. What's better, a sprinkler or a hose? We often end up with hose pipe bands, yeah. in, especially in the summer. So, but what's better for your garden? Right. Well, well the best thing really is a watering can because you can actually mm. get that to the base of the of the plant a lot better and and you know whatever particularly if you're feeding it at the same time you've got food in the watering can which you can't do in the hose well you sort of can but it's not so effective you can get these things can't you that strap onto the end of the hose um but i think um it's a better measure with a watering can but that if you've got a big garden or if you've got lots of things that need watering then that's quite labor intensive so the next best thing would be a hose but not on the sprinkler setting because you do need to get the water down at the base of the plant um, if you sprinkle it and it goes on the leaves again that evaporate and the roots have got nothing yeah. particularly if you've got a well established plant that's got a lot of foliage that is covering its roots namely it's got a big grass here in the garden that you can't even see its roots you'd have to get down on your hands and knees so if you stood on the top mm. with a sprinkler on that by the time it's found its way down to the roots it's evaporated so you must get your, your hose in at the in at the roots anything you're planting okay good and then finally on watering actually ironically looks like it's about to start raining so we might have to pause and go inside see how we get on um house plants a whole a whole other matter some people that are very good at gardening struggle with house plants vice versa do you have any tips on watering house plants i think you i think the the best thing is with house plants is to have is as a um slot it in as a regular thing that you're going to do say maybe every Sunday morning or something water them but then you can I don't know I'm not very good with house plants you can overwater them I've lost house plants through overwatering I think you need to test the soil if it's mm. if it's dry if it's crumbly then they need watering um keep an eye on if they need repotting but um and then you've got some like the ferns who actually quite like a mist you know mm. so just a spray so good in like a bathroom where they're yeah yeah the i don't think they actually benefit from you watering their soil i think they don't need to water their soil you just you just spray the mist over their delicate leaves and they're happy with that they don't need uh, their soil to be soaking and i think actually that's i've killed loads of those <laughs> because i think i water the, the soil and then they just uh, they just die but there is a whole other thing. I'm not yes. an expert by any means at houseplants. You are. You've got some beautiful ones here. I have. I haven't had any of them that long. Um, and I always feel like I'm... I don't feel like I understand any of them. I feel like I'm walking a very fine line. Like you say, it's the overwatering, mm. I think. Because there's some where it can go two or three weeks and I'll feel the soil and it still feels mm. damp. And I think, well, that can't be right. So I do tend to give them a water. But then you've got to take into account the conditions. Like yeah. once your central heating's on, yes. that's a different thing altogether. You know? That's true, yeah. And the biggest challenge I have, more with choosing houseplants than with uh, maintaining them, is... I have a lot of pets, in particular two cats in the house, and a lot of houseplants, particularly the most popular, the kind of really dramatic-looking ones, are toxic to cats and dogs. And 
obviously you know you can't really control where a cat in particular is going to go in the house they love to jump up on shelves anything you don't want them to touch they basically will find and normally try and eat so that's a big challenge but thanks to google and lots of the information out there you can kind of normally find out if the if the thing you're about to buy is going to kill your pets and i haven't lost any that way yet touch wood okay so um you mentioned earlier that i had bought some new plants today mm. i've forgotten the name of one of them already salvia salvia so we went to the garden center today because um i wanted to we've as we've been cutting things down in the garden we've uncovered load more space so I wanted to um think about what to put there and for a long time I have wanted a ceanothus blue is my favorite color and I saw a ceanothus in the garden center a while ago and I sent mum a picture of it and said oh this is the most beautiful plant I've ever seen what is it and she said oh that's a ceanothus so I've kind of been dying to get one in my garden can you describe what a ceanothus is like or the one I bought I yes guess? Well, so there are lots of different types we've got a big one in our garden that's um about eight nine foot tall and probably as wide but the one we've bought for Naomi is um not going to get that big we think maybe a meter and a half and it's more it's more slim I don't think it's going to be very wide either so it's, it's more compact and I think will suit um what she's trying to do in her garden um in an ideal world I think we would have prepared the gar- the bed you know made a nice space put the soil in and then thought about what we were going to put where but we've slightly and that's partly because we're not here all the time so we've had to sort of jump in and do what we think's best um about the ceanothus and and it's going to be near her window so she'll be able to see the plant that she loves quite close to her kitchen window um but i've said we've decided where we're going to put it i think but i have said and i think you shouldn't shy away from this in a year's time if it isn't right or if something else looks wrong size in that area then we can we can move it i would i wouldn't worry about doing that in the plants first year after that it might not like it very much but we think we know where's best but because the garden is such a work in progress it's a bit difficult to know but it's a good start and um it'll you know it's good to just put that in and the salvias and see how they fill out (coughs) good yes i'm really excited for that (coughs) Um, and you're very diplomatically saying that we've been very careful about what we've ended up buying. There's definitely way more I would have probably bought if I'd been on my own, but we've approached it the right way. Um, I think if you had a completely yes. empty bed, and I know you've got an empty part of the bed, but it's not quite the same. And we don't really know what we're going to do with the rest yeah, of that exactly, space. So Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think if we're talking about cutting other things down or, you know, then do you want all of it to be no bigger than four feet high or do you want bigger things you know so it's not just about that little corner it's about the balance of that with the existing plants it's just started to rain and i don't know if it's raining too hard for us to be out here you want to go under there yeah i think it must be nearly the end yeah I'll just stay standing, it's fine. You're nearly wrapping up anyway. Yeah. And the uh, are at the same height. Okay. So we've just had to take shelter under a canopy because like the lovely English summer that it is, the rain's just come out of nowhere. Um, so I, we bought a Ceanothus. We bought 
three what are they salvias called? salvias and they to me look a bit like lavender at the moment they're not a they're not scented and they are as we were saying earlier on they're herbaceous perennials so they're nice um they'll be nice and flower and lovely flower and we've bought blue and a nice pink as well there's lots of different salvias um but they will die down